Welcome aboard, Aviators fans. This is your captain speaking. I'm Michael Keoy, and you are listening to In the Cockpit, a podcast dedicated to your Los Angeles aviators. Join us every week as we discuss what's happening on the field and spotlight some of your favorite players. I'm your co-pilot, Jacob Bomber, and we are thrilled to have you along for the ride. Please make sure your seatbelts are buckled, your tray tables are in the upright and locked position, and don't mind the turbulence. Let's have some fun. Thank you for joining us for episode two of In the Cockpit. I am Jacob Bomber, and I am here again with my esteemed co-host, Michael Keoy. Good afternoon. At this point, we are definitely up on Spotify and Google Podcasts. We're still working on getting completely squared away in multiple ways, but we're getting there quick, so make sure you keep your eyes and ears open and subscribe and follow us wherever it is possible. All right. So, well, today's guest, we have the legendary Sam Fontaine. Welcome, Sam. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Of course. And... Just in case people are not aware, you have been voted one of the Aviators captains. So congratulations, and that's pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely a big honor. Um, I was a little um, wary about it since I just joined the team this year, but um, I really enjoyed being on the team so far, so I was excited to sort of take the opportunity when it was presented. Well, I think it speaks very well to your leadership skills and obviously the respect that a lot of players have for you throughout Southern California and actually now throughout the country because you're not a recent California transplant, but you you uh, didn't start your uh, career here. So we, we were just curious, can you give us some, one athletic background maybe before you played ultimate and also where you started ultimate yeah definitely um so when i was a kid i played a lot of sports um i wasn't particularly good at any of them but i played (laughs) baseball and uh soccer and basketball when i was in basically from elementary school through middle school um and then in middle school Pitcher started pitching too fast for me to hit in baseball, so I quit that. Um, <laughs> I played middle school soccer in uh, sixth and seventh grade, but didn't make the team in eighth grade, so I kind of quit soccer after that. I guess I was like kind of a quitter as a kid. Um, uh, but then I, I really got into like uh, basketball more in high school and college. Um, I played church league basketball and rec league basketball, and then just a ton of pickup and intramural in college. Um, it was like definitely the thing I was most into even for like the first couple of years I was playing Frisbee. And I would say like, still it's like uh, on pretty similar ground in terms of my favorite sport, even though I'm uh, way less successful at basketball, but yeah. Um, we we and, need and to get I, on the court sometime. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll play on your team, Jake. I'm not going to play on the other team. I'm definitely not going to guard you. I'll tell you that much. Well, we nobody can guard me. So it's fine. <laughs> a little pick and pop yeah. action, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would love to see the San Fontaine versus Bomber one v one. That would be highly entertaining. We gotta line that up. 
when, we need some we need some reps out there. Well, in the generally when I play people one on one, granted this is usually middle schoolers and high schoolers, I always give them an advantage of no matter who scores, they get to take the ball out. Because if I just because wow. if I just score it, I just post up or whatever every single time, and it that's borderline unfair. You're a grown person though; I think you could handle it. But you know, whatever parameters you want to set, it's fine. We can we'll bring a we'll bring a ball out to one of these games, maybe yeah. an away game where we where we have an extra day or something like that, and I'll embarrass myself. You can report <laughs> the score on here. <laughs> that that could very well. We could we, have a we, live live podcast situation. <laughs> of a game going on. That would be incredible. Wait, so Sam, that's that's all those sports pretty awesome, and it makes sense that you transition in to Ultimate really well. Did you start playing Ultimate in college, or did you? I mean, I think that's what you just mentioned, but maybe let the listeners know where you went and how that kind of went down. Yeah, I, I guess I I guess I technically started playing in high school, but it was like I had some friends on the cross country team. And on their conditioning days, uh, when they didn't have to just run, they would play ultimate. And so I would join them. And it was like, you know, like 13 on 13 on not a regulation size field. No one knows how to mark or throw a forehand. Like the least, the least structured ultimate you could imagine. But I started playing, um, my, my junior year actually, uh, at UNC Asheville. Um, and so I came to it pretty late, um, competitively. And it was like the first year that the college team there uh, had split into open and women's teams. Uh, So it it was, it was even co-ed my first fall semester. Um, The team was called the flying snatch. Um, And then for the, for the spring series, um, we finally split into, into open and women's and, and uh, that's how I sort of got into more competitive play. That's really cool, actually. That's that's pretty unique as well. I don't think I've ever heard of uh, a program being like that. Um, that that must have been a great exposure to uh, Coed Ultimate, and I don't know, maybe helped you in your in your coaching as well, because I know that you coach the Burning Skirts at UCSB, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool, I guess. Um, I, I I think it did help me. Um, I I ended up playing mixed. I guess my first club season I played open, but after that I played mixed in Asheville, and um, I made nationals my first year playing mixed club, and wow. we didn't win a single game. Actually, I didn't win a single game um, until the last day of my second time going to club nationals. So. It was like a pretty abysmal start, uh, but we luckily we did much better uh, with Condors the the second time I made it with Condors, so that was good. Yeah, that um, that is. I mean, just going to nationals though, it's pretty pretty cool. So it's could be worse. Could be worse. Yeah, definitely. What? And I've gotten to coach at college nationals too, so that's been really fun. That is epic. Not a lot of people can say that. That's a that's a pretty fun fact. So besides, I guess, coaching at Nationals, that would be a highlight, and going to Nationals, do you have any other highlights, maybe personal accomplishments in the sport that that you want to share with us? I mean, I don't have, I don't have that many, like, personal accomplishments, I wouldn't say. Um, but in terms of team accomplishments, 
Um, I would say winning select flight invite with condors, um, in 2017 was a, was a pretty big deal for me. Um, and then winning elite select in 2019 and having like a huge comeback against Bravo when we were down, I think, I think we were down nine to five and came back to win 11, 10 or something crazy like that. Um, I would say those two uh, experiences along with um, making nationals the first time, making nationals the first time with condors and then uh, making nationals the first time with, with skirts um, as a coach would be like the, the big highlights that, that stick out to me. I wonder what the list is of people who have been to nationals on a mixed team, nationals on an open team and nationals coaching a team. That I don't is, know. Uh, that is quite a uh, triumph you got there. I yeah, wonder. That's a triple threat. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people probably go from open or women's to mixed later in their careers. Yeah. Uh, or or maybe they do something similar to what I did, where you start really young playing mixed and then you switch over. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, I guess the coaching thing is kind of the the wild card. Yeah, the outlier. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's definitely a huge accomplishment. Do you do you feel like on your journey that you had some players that you really looked up to or took a lot of inspiration from? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, along with my current teammates, I would say on Condors, um, there's a lot of people I look up to still on that team. Um, I would say that there were a lot of people on the on Cahoots, the mixed club team I played for, who really were like important role models for me when I was younger. Um, so like uh, Timmy Murray, who was like a very successful ultimate player. I think he won uh, maybe mixed nationals in 2009 or 2010 with uh, mental toss flycoons. Uh, he played sub zero for a long time. Um, Kate Foster Yaki, who is also like a long time uh, Raleigh Phoenix player. Uh, it was really cool. Cause I got to play with people like that who were like, in the last five years of their career, like upper thirties, um, just sort of winding down. And I got to like, just be a sponge and sort of learn how to play well from them. So that was super cool. There are other people too, but those two really stand out. That's awesome. Maybe repeat one more time. The first name you said, uh, it might've cut a little bit on our audio. want to make sure the listeners get the shout out. Gotcha. Yeah. The first, the first person was Tim Murray. Um, okay. Yeah. And he, I like, um, he's, he's definitely like a dry, sarcastic, um, kind of jackass of a dude, I guess sometimes <laughs> but he means, he means well. And the best teammates really always are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's actually, he's actually in the, uh, the original black tide documentary. Um, oh. when they're, when they're at nationals, they talk about playing Michigan in the quarters and I think I think he's the only person who, or the only player who wasn't on Black Tide who was interviewed for that movie, because he actually <laughs> he has like a thirty second bit in the movie when they're at nationals. So shout out, really quick tangent. That <clears throat> documentary you're talking about, the first one was I Bleed Black, and oh, now it's it's on the older side. So some of our younger audience probably has never heard of it but it is uh one one of the more interesting early ultimate documentaries 
and can kind of give an insight to, I guess, the old school frame of mind of, of Black Tide and, and maybe even Santa Barbara Ultimate in general. Yeah, but, yeah. sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Infamous, maybe. Yes, yes. Things have changed, which is, which is good. But it's always, always fun and interesting to kind of get a little piece of history. Well, moving on from that, speaking of just kind of random facts, do you have any fun random stories that are ultimate related but maybe not on the field necessarily? <laughs> I, I have some. Um... I don't know. I mean, I guess everyone does, right? But, uh, yeah, I have, a, I have one that I think is pretty funny, but, uh, you, it may not make sense to people who don't know the people involved. Um, but I'll, I'll try anyways. <laughs> so, so, uh, the first year that, that Condors and Street Gang merged, um, we went to Seattle for a, I think it was a sanctioned tournament, but it was a pretty low level tournament. I think it's actually the reason that we didn't get a second bid to nationals is because we went to that tournament and we played like a, a crazy game against Portland dark star that went to like 1917 or something like that yeah. and lost a bit. But um, that, that's not the point of the story, but we ended up winning the tournament. Um, and if we brought up uh, all the times condors lost a bid to nationals because of something stupid, yeah. we'd be here a while. Yeah. It <laughs> was, Sadly, those stories aren't very funny to to me or or Michael. But, I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, there's been a lot of a heartbreak there. Yeah. So after this tournament, um, I was so I was on what we call the Dan train that weekend, which means that I was in Dan Bellinger's uh, rental car. Oh boy. Uh, oh, I, that's all. That's basically <laughs> all you need to know to set up a story. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> um, and. Um, for those who don't know, Dan Bellinger is kind of like a legendary chaotic person who um, <laughs> Jeff Silverman is like his most frequent and long-term victim of just like getting dragged <laughs> around wherever Dan wants to go and uh, just doing crazy random things. But so um, we, we finished up the tournament. We won. We went and got some drinks afterwards, uh, except for Dan because he was driving, of course. And this is big in the... This is big in the Pokemon Go era. Um, okay. So this is like in the heyday of that game. So everyone's, we're just, we're just going around catching Pokemon all weekend and like, we're all <laughs> oh, kind of like way too into it, especially Dan. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so after the tournament, he wants to go and watch the, watch, uh, mixtape or no, watch BFG practice because the person we're staying with is, uh, on the team. And so. Okay. He, he starts driving us out to where he thinks their practice is. Um, and we get in traffic on this little back road, um, on a, a little two lane back road. And we see this sign that is, it says, uh, Wapato on it. And it's like a, it's like an all blue sign with like a weird fish drawn on it. And we're kind of, we're in an inspired state of mind. Um, and our friend Will Turner, who, who plays growlers and captains condors with me. He and I were in the back seat of the car and we, we told him that he should try to catch the Wapato, uh, like a Pokemon. <laughs> and so, and so as we <laughs> drove past it, 
he threw a frisbee at the sign and missed, and it goes. It was over a bridge, so it goes down into this creek and rambles oh, uh, below the bridge. And so uh, it was Jeff Silverman's Frisbee, uh, and so he gets out of the car to go look for it because uh, we're in sort of slow traffic, and he thinks it's going to be fine. So he goes down there. We keep slowly inching forward, inching forward, um, and eventually we're like hundreds of yards away, and we see him come up. Buck back up out of the uh, creek and back onto the road. Uh, and then he goes down the other side because he still hadn't found it. And <laughs> so we keep going. And at this point, the traffic starts to kind of start moving a little bit more. And so we really start moving ahead. And at this point, the bridge is like out of sight, like probably a half a mile away at least. And so eventually we just see him like slowly <laughs> jogging down the sideway, sidewalk uh, back towards the car because, uh, of course, Dan wouldn't stop for him. Because uh, that's just not of something course. Dan would do. Uh, <laughs> Dan so, train can't stop. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it literally Keep doesn't. That momentum happen. going. Yeah, so he had so he had to run probably like a mile uh, back to the car after playing a full tournament weekend. Um, <laughs> and and so the Wapato is sort of a legend now that we talk about still at practices and tournaments. Uh, it's sort of like a. It's obviously not a real Pokemon, but we sort of think of it as sort of like a Wobbuffet uh, with the little, like, hand yep. on the head. Yeah, that, and that, yep. that's about all the detail I'll go into. Kind of a weird story. Most <laughs> people probably won't get it, but it was very funny to me. Oh, it's – I I agree a thousand percent that it is a highly entertaining story. And even though I've heard it before, every time I hear it again and hearing you talk about it now, it still just makes me laugh and – and it is difficult for if there's anyone that listened to to this podcast that is not familiar with Dan, but I'm pretty sure most people would know who Dan is that are listening to this because he is a former aviator and growler. So yeah, it really it really captures the essence of Jeff and Dan's relationship too. It's beautiful. Beautiful 100%. Story. 100%. That story is on point for them, too. It, it completely is. And they have who knows how many. We could make a whole – we could have a, a podcast dedicated to just Dan and Jeff. <laughs> I would listen to that. <laughs> yeah, I would, too. <laughs> well, okay, so complete, complete swing in a different direction. We've heard a little bit about your ultimate career. But not a lot of people know maybe what you do in your professional, quote-unquote, work life. So maybe you can give us a, a few minutes of, of what you do. Yeah, definitely. So the reason I moved out here was for graduate school. Um, and so I'm a Ph.D. candidate in American politics and international relations. So I'm in the Department of Political Science uh, at UCSB and my research is kind of historical, uh, historically oriented. Um, my dissertation looks at the, the development of different presidential leadership strategies to try to influence um, congressional policymaking. And it looks at the, the sort of institutional development of the executive branch, like the development of different bureaucratic uh, departments and the growing complexity of those departments and things like that. And so not not super interesting to most people, but it's definitely very 
fascinating to to me. Well, I think it's fascinating. Actually, doing these podcasts are pretty fun because I, I knew the short version of why you were here, but hearing you go into more detail, I'm learning more about you. So that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. And it does sound fascinating, especially when you said you focus a lot on history, but you know, there's a politics is, is very, uh, I guess, uh, front center these days, especially. So very, very interesting stuff. Do you ever feel like your professional work life and playing ultimate mix or have you ever found that they, um, like that you would discuss that or if it's helped you or hurt you or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I think it has both helped and hurt. Um, I think that having, I really value balance, uh, in life. And so I feel like some people approach, uh, graduate school by just sort of diving in all the way and just like working 12 hour days for like five years to just try to get their, their work done and get their degree. Um, and that's like, that's definitely something that results in success for a lot of people. But for me, I really value like having more of an eight or nine hour work day. Um, really just trying to like get four or five really productive hours of work in each day and, uh, and then, and then doing other things that help my mental and emotional health and allow me to be like a more well-rounded person. Um, cause I, I do feel like a lot of people who are in academia sort of aren't able to pursue other things outside of their work. Um, so it's, it's important to me at the same time, it probably has resulted in me taking longer to finish than uh, I would have liked. But I, I guess that's just sort of a trade-off that you have to make. Oh, definitely. And and like you said, the whole having balance and having some type of activity, and we, and we all love Ultimate. I mean, it's fantastic. So that's that's great. I think it's I think it's really great. And for those of us, or for those of you listening, we can always do more work, I think, but it's, it's also important to find stuff that we really love. And speaking of that, since you love Ultimate and, um, the AUDL, was there, actually, we, we want to hear a little bit about the Charlotte Express because that is, <laughs> Where you started your AUDL career, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't know they existed, so. <laughs> a, a short and storied history of a franchise. <laughs> you abridged Charlotte Express by Sam Fontaine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so how did you get involved with that? Um, well, uh, I got, I mean, I just sort of did what everyone does, I guess. And so the, the team formed in 2015. Um, I, I actually think that's when the South division was created, but I can't, I really can't remember. Maybe Raleigh was around before that, but I, I want to say that us and Atlanta and Raleigh and Tampa Bay were all new teams that year, I think. Um, but I could be wrong. I'm not a, I'm not an AUDL historian, but, uh, that sounds right. That sounds, yeah. that sounds like the correct time frame. So, so me and, or so, so some college teammates and me, uh, or I went to uh, the the tryouts for Charlotte, 
And I, I actually remember I had a really bad blood blister in my big toe that just like popped up like three days before the tryout. And so I was like, Oh man, there's no chance I make this team. Like I, I don't even think I'm going to go to the tryout. Like I, I'm in so much pain every time I step that like there's no way I can play well or, or run full speed. Um, but I just went out anyways and like put a bunch of padding on my foot and, um, <laughs> I guess I got, I guess I played well so, cause they offered me a contract. Um, and then my college coach actually, uh, got the coaching job for the team. So, um, like in, independently of me making it, I think. Um, but it just so happened that me and uh, a couple other people from UNCA and, and, uh, I made the team. And, um, I ended up playing on the O line as like a Bill Cutter. Um, and basically what the team looked like was like, uh, three really good ring players who, um, lived in Charlotte and didn't really want to commute for ADL that year. Uh, so it was like Ken Porter, who was on the, yeah. on the end of his career, but still really good. When Sam says and, ring, he means the ring of fire club team yeah. locally based. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Micah Hood, and, uh, who I think still plays ring, but I, I'm not sure. He may, he may have retired yeah. a few years ago. And then, uh, Shane Cisco, who I think still plays, but so they were like our, our studs and like drew all the attention of, of every team that we played basically. And then we had just like a ton of people from all over the rest of North Carolina, like Asheville and Charlotte and, uh, Boone, where App State is, uh, who just like filled out the rest of the team. And I, I just got to play O with those guys and draw like basically the worst matchup from every team. Cause they were really yes. focused on everyone else. And, <laughs> uh, I just got to run deep and let those good throwers throw to me a lot. That was basically it. That's awesome. That's, that sounds like a lot of fun. And, and then, um, well, then you were on growler, growlers for several years and, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but you're on aviators now. What do you, what do you feel like it means to you to be on this team, especially during this year? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a big adjustment. Um, like obviously the growlers and aviators have a pretty intense, um, rivalry. And yep. so for my whole AUDL experience out here, I, been like taught and and embraced like hey we don't like these guys like let's go out and try to <laughs> beat them and embarrass them every time we play them um and so part of part of what brought me to the team was just like life circumstances um so i like adopted a dog with my uh, partner during the pandemic and so i wanted to have more weekends at home and, and shorter weekends for home games and stuff like that um the the commute of like anywhere from four and a half to seven hours each way for a home game in San Diego yeah. got to be a little bit too much for me. Um, but also I like, I got to talk to Jeff uh, Landisman a lot. Uh, and I got to talk to a lot of people on the team who I play Condors with about, you know, what it would look like if I played and, and what it would mean for us as like, and our relationships. And I just felt like it was a really great opportunity to get more reps with, some guys who I haven't gotten to play with as much because I've been playing growlers and getting to play with some younger guys who like, I really feel like are the the future of our club team, but also like the future of our region in general. So like, it, it means a lot to me because I feel like I'm 
certainly in the back half of my elite playing career. And I want to start to shift to, to see what I can do to grow the next generation and make sure that there's longevity in our, in our region and our teams. So. Yeah, that's really, really amazing. And, and so true. It's a couple of the players specifically that you're talking about, of course, Calvin and KJ, but there's also several black tide players, college players while well, recently graduating that are signed now on the roster and have made huge steps and are hopefully going to be big contributors this year. So I, I really respect that. And I know that they have aspirations as well to not only play in the AUDL, but continue on and play Condors and, and hopefully they stick around the area uh, for a little while. It's, it's tough. It's tough to stay in, in SoCal and uh, have consistency. So investing in the future is, is huge. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm really curious on how the what the mentality is like for specifically since you're both here and there's multiple players obviously on both sides that have this, but to go through you two specifically have been on this club team together for a long time, and and then to square off with your club teammates on an AUDL field, like what. As you go into that, is this a like competitive, we're on opposite teams right now, I hate you, this is going down, or this is awesome, I'm going up against my friends, or this is super awkward, like what, you know, ev- everybody will come at that with a different kind of mindset, but just where are you two at when you're on an AUDL field against your club teammates? I think... You want to take that first, uh, Michael? No, no, I think you should take it first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it it totally varies um, based on the perceived nature of the defections uh, when someone goes from one team to the other (laughs) and the amount of sort of like internal um, resentment that people build up based on based on the rivalry. And so it's varied a ton. Yeah. Like when, uh, when I remember very distinctly after my first year playing growlers, when some guys went back to aviators and I was like super, uh, resentful and, and kind of just acted like a jerk to them on the field for ADL. And like, uh, and like things got like pretty heated between our teams in general, I would say, um, over that. And the same thing has happened the opposite way. I think where, people have left aviators to go to growlers and there's definitely been some like hurt feelings and resentment that have built up. But I think that those are the, um, those are the extreme cases and yeah. that usually people understand that, that uh, people have to make choices that are really complicated and that they have to put themselves first. And I think that uh, we do a really good job of, of prioritizing our bonds with our teammates for club and not letting ADL get in the way of that in general. Like I, I'm not, I don't anticipate any bad blood between me and, and my, uh, yeah. club teammates this weekend when we play growlers or anything like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> but I, but I really don't think so. And, and there won't be any from me either way. So I think, I think it also really depends on how long you've known 
the people as well. So, I mean, exactly what Sam's talking about, each situation is different. But you take someone like Dan, who we talked about earlier, and and I've known Dan for years and years and years and years. And so when he goes to a different team or something like that, I'm more bummed because I want him to be on our team just because I like having him as a teammate. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, I know the skills that he has and he's going to contribute, obviously, and, and just the vibes that he puts out there. Uh, but then there's the other side where I'm, where I laugh internally. Uh, cause I know some just like this, the weaknesses or, you know, maybe we can exploit this player in this certain area, uh, because we, we, we just know each other so well. And I'm sure that they do say the same thing about some of us. So it's, it is an interesting dynamic, but also really fun. And, and Sam is right. Like when we get to, when you're on the same team, eventually it's, it's not a problem. It's it's uh, just all good vibes. So, but with that being said, I think we should get into a little bit of this game preview. What do you think, Jake? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this this coming Saturday, depending what time you are listening to this episode, Saturday, January. Nope. What's today? <laughs> Today's June first. Saturday. June 5th at 6 p.m. I was screwing up my numbers there. June 5th, 6 p.m. We have recently announced that our home games will be at LA Southwest College. So if you're in the greater Los Angeles area, it's a pretty central location, I think, um, just east of the LAX airport. So if you can make it, be out there for our first home game in two years. We are very excited, and we are going up against the aforementioned Growlers. So, side note, buy your tickets online. They are trying to keep it that way as much as possible. So, visit the website, laaviators.com, to get your tickets there. And we would love to see you all out there. But, again, as we've talked about, heated, quote-unquote, rivalry with this San Diego team. This is our first of, I believe, four games against them. Four or six. I forget. But four. four. Four games. We have four total, yes. So, as all three of us have the privilege of playing in this game on Saturday. How are we feeling? How are we feeling physically, mentally? What's going on? We'll focus on us first. How are we feeling about it? Well, that's Sam. Sam's our guest. So I think he should, he should uh, let us know. I mean, uh, mentally I feel great. It's like super exciting to, to get to play competitive ultimate again. And I'm actually like pretty excited that we drew San Diego first because, um, it's, it's definitely like the most meaningful games in my experience out here. So it's going to be a challenge, but like very, very excited and really excited to see what a lot of our new young players are going to do out there in their first ever ADL games. So that's really exciting. Um, but personally, I'm not feeling that great physically. I, I tweaked my hamstring a few weeks ago and I've just been trying to rehab it since then. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good, but I wouldn't say I'm like, 110% there, um, but still going to keep working on it. And I'm sure I'll be 100% by then. So if anybody's listening, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he is good to go. You are not going to be able to exploit Sam on Saturday. <laughs> well, how how you feeling, Jake? Like, 
it was it was funny, and we talked a little bit about this before, but you weren't even supposed to be playing. You had decided kind of to retire, but now yeah. you're now you're suiting up for the first game. It's awesome. So I did at the two practices that I participated in. I did feel really good. I felt better as the practices went on. So like by the end of the practice, getting in more points and and getting over you know the first wall of cardio and stuff. I felt a lot better by the end of the practice. Um, so for me, that was kind of a surprise. Like, oh, I'm like running around. Obviously, I'm not like, I'm still sucking wind pretty hard by the end, but <laughs> I felt way better than I thought I would. So that was a pretty big plus. I've been out running around a bit, played in a Monday Irvine league last week and felt pretty good there. Kind of tweaked my quad a little bit. So took it easy last week, but went out and played beach on Saturday to see how I felt and managed to play beach for a solid two and a half hours and never really felt the quad affect me in any way. And then proceeded to play some street hockey for another two and a half hours after that. <laughs> so this is all in the sake of cardio, making sure I like, you know, am breathing hard for extended amounts of time. Felt, yeah. felt, didn't feel super great after six hours of running around on Saturday, but in a good way, not in a, Oh, I just ruined myself way. And then I may or may not have spent two hours skating at a, uh, <laughs> like a skate night, a local youth organization we have hosted a skate night. So I got in some little bit more leg work, just going around in a circle a bit. So I feel pretty good going into Saturday, assuming that I'm not the safe assumption that I'm not playing half of the points. I'll, I'll be good to get my eight to 10 points in and, and contribute hopefully in the air and uh, move on from there. Yeah. Well, we're, we're hoping that you have the highest block the points ratio uh, in the AUDL. I'm pretty sure I not. did in 2019. I'm just throwing yeah. that out there. Zero actual research has been put into that, but pretty early on in the 2019 season, I was averaging like three blocks a game, having only played seven or eight points a game. So yeah, it was so nice. either we're not giving you enough points, <laughs> or <laughs> it's just uh, it's it's perfect. Yeah. You're just out there getting blocks. Yeah. Uh, I guess, so really quickly, I'll just say, yeah. I, I feel very excited for the game, and it's been kind of ramping up, been very busy in work life and, and stuff like that, so it's just kind of hitting me this week that we are finally going to play competitive ultimate again, and that, after such a long time, is really, is really fantastic, and physically, uh, can't complain. I feel, feel good. I'm hoping that the body holds up for this, for this whole season. And I think we can sneak, sneak a, a W, to be honest, this weekend. I know it's a uphill battle. And so you say, everyone, you say sneak a W. Why, to the people who may or may not know, why, why would you say we would have to sneak a W instead of coming to be like, nah, it's going to be an easy dub? <laughs> well, yeah, good, good, great clarification. Yeah. So, for if people don't really follow what's going on, San Diego, I guess to be realistic, on paper looks very, very strong, and the ADL media, let's call them, <laughs> pick them to be in the top five of the whole league. So. They are strong, and they do have a lot of great players, and they signed a lot of great players. But that's 
one of the reasons why I think that we can uh, get a win this weekend because they have a lot of new pieces. And, of course, we have a lot of new pieces, but um, it feels like a lot of our new pieces are young players that are really excited and are trying to learn and are fitting in great into our system versus San Diego has a lot of very well-established players. And that is not always easy. There's a lot of... uh, there's a lot of mouths to feed on San Diego, and that, that's that's not always a smooth ride. So we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. What do you what do you think about that, Sam? Knowing some of those San Diego guys, and and maybe a couple it, of guys that they added. They went uh, they went shopping this off season at Whole Foods, but we went to Albertsons. <laughs> we can still we can still cook a good meal. <laughs> Yeah, I hope they're Albertsons and Santa Barbara because all the ones around here are close. So we, <laughs> we got we have a few. We have a few. Good, sweet. Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and what I mean, if our Albertsons is selling Sam Fontaines <laughs> and Marcells, yeah, we're doing I'm pretty feeling good. pretty pretty good about about our Albertsons. Marcells I'll take are, a uh, Sam and <laughs> two for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I'll still take a a two for two for a dollar Marcel over uh you know maybe a a Gaval or or a Greg Cohen. Yeah, I said it, Greg. <laughs> Greg and I were Greg and I were teammates back in in 2014 on Spider so I can give him a hard yeah, time. Yeah, Kyo is not just throwing random people under the bus to get us in trouble. He knows he can yeah, get away yeah, with a couple of these names. <laughs> and I know Leaf as well. I can I can I can poke a little fun at him. He's uh, coming in from Seattle. How's he going to fit in? We'll see. We'll see. So in order to see how that plays out, again, be at the game. Saturday, <laughs> June 5th, 6 p.m. Get your tickets now. Um, or, or or as a as the other sales pitch, you can get AUDL.TV and subscribe, I guess, to the Aviators, obviously, and watch – our games, but it's way better in person. So that is, if it's possible for you to get there, we would love to see you. Let me know. Let me know if you need a password. Shoot me an email. <laughs> yeah, Sam's got the <laughs> yeah. Sam's got the secret code. Just make sure you're not on the same time as Sam while he's re- reviewing game video. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got a question about this weekend. Are there any players, we've talked about younger players on our team, who do we think is just going to have a monster game? A monster I know the game. answer. I know the answer to this. Okay, Sam. Everyone. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I hope so. But uh, I'll tell you who the guy is who's been showing out at practice is Matt Miller. That guy is going to get, I, I'll guarantee, uh, one layout block and – Three assists. Wow. I, okay, okay, the block, I'm willing to be like, yep, I'm not taking that bet because I, I can see that. <laughs> the three assists, that is all right. No, I like mover. it. I, disc mover. He, he, he definitely – that's why it's hard for those people to get the assist, though. Like, he's so good at moving it around, especially close to the end zone, the give-goes and stuff. It's just hard to be the last guy that gets it into the end zone after you've done all the work to get it there. So That's true. Yeah. I no, I I I like the line. I like the line. You know, 
Matt has really been impressive. I agree. And maybe at some point we'll have him on the on the podcast because his story is he's got aviators running through his blood. I mean, the, he went to his first aviators game, I think, in 2017. Uh, had very little experience, may not have even started playing Ultimate, and now is playing for Cal Poly, is a star, and, okay, one, I, I, I hope he gets it. The layout block and the three assists. Jake, who's your, who's your pick? Oh, sorry, sorry, Sam. No, how about, how about we, let's reset the line. It's, it's, uh, plus or minus three and a half positive counting stats. So goals, assists, okay. Blocks. Okay. Don't okay, worry about so, the negative side. <laughs> I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over. It is hard to not take the over. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Because yeah, like two blocks, because I could easily envision two blocks. So now all he needs is one goal and one assist, and he's around the disc so much that that is that is doable. I think Sam needs more work in Vegas. That should have been probably four yeah. and a half, not three and a half. <laughs> he and I are both four. taking the over. Four and a half would be tough. That, that's a, yeah. I think that's a tough line. That would be definitely challenging to take the over, but I'm not going to put it past Matt Miller to be a, a plus five. So, and obviously that would be amazing for the team. So, yeah. <laughs> but Jake, who's your pick? Who's your pick to have a great game? I, it, I can't not pick Calvin Brown. Like watching this kid grow up, like I've been playing ultimate with him since he was eight years old. Like, I know little Calvin, and at the first practice I was at since I'd seen him last, he had bulked up quite a bit. So this is a player who has already had all of the skills, and now he has the body to match. And this is going to be the first time that he gets to show that. And I, there's probably going to be a few... (laughs) Calvin makes a lot of fun decisions that sometimes don't turn out super awesome, but a lot of times yeah. they work out great. So there's going to be probably a couple turnovers in there, but for the amount of good that he is going to do, I I cannot wait for Saturday to see to see the newly branded Calvin Brown out there for the world to see. He's he's a rock star, legitimate rock star. Uh, he's going to be a mainstay and ultimate for a long, long time. It is fun to to see him just balling out on the field, and that that's that's kind of a cheat pick. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent cheat I'll, pick. I took the easy way out. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Uh, I'm gonna go with Sam Cook, right. and he for those that are, don't know who he is, Sam Cook. Was a local LA guy for a while, went to USC, then he moved to Seattle and played Cascades and now is back in Southern California in LA. And, and he's, he's fit really well into the O line. So I think he's going to have a big game. He's a, a great cutter, but also a really good thrower. So I could see him. Putting down, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put him at three goals and two assists. Easy money. Three, three Easy goals, money. two assists. <laughs> and you know, I don't I don't want to put the expectation too high 
on his first game with us. But I think that would be that's a pretty pretty good game. Yeah, I can I can see it. I, I can see it. I cannot wait to see him do awesome stuff in our jersey. He has been a steady, phenomenal player at practice. Like has done everything right the entire time and just makes bonkers plays out of nowhere. So for yeah, there are so many people. I'm so excited to just be on the field Saturday. I cannot wait for everybody to go out and do awesome stuff on Saturday. Yeah, see, this is what I'm saying. We're dropping a lot of names here. Uh, we 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 have a sneaky good squad. I think it's it's we've always been underdogs in terms of going into the start of a season, and we've we've exceeded expectations. I have no doubt that we will do the same this year. And you know what? Got to prove the haters wrong. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and on that note, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Sam, thank you for making time and being the first guest on In the Cockpit. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Sam. Thank you, Aviators Nation. And who knows? Maybe we'll have Sam back at another point. He's a pretty, pretty awesome guest. Indeed. Next week, plan to have Sean McDougal, our other captain, round out our three captains early on. So be listening for that. Again, keep listening. Find us on whatever medium we pop up on. Uh, for sure, like I said earlier, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, share it. Send it out. All that. Talk about it. Make people want to listen. And send us some questions that you want players to answer. Shout out players that you want to be on the podcast. Hit us up just on the aviators social medias or on our own personal social medias let us know and we will do everything i can everything we can to keep keep the good content rolling so with that we will leave you to the rest of your day thank you for flying with us on the aviators airwaves